Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Anyway, let's jump into scripture, if you will. First John chapter 2. We're wrapping up First um, John chapter 2, and uh, we'll have it on the screen for you. And we're going to go into chapter 3 because um, the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. Uh, that was added much, much later. These are, these are letters. So there is no actual division in John's mind between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, that's, that's something that will help us as people keep track of stuff. But um, verse 28 of 1 John chapter 2, he says, And now, little children. <laughs> that's actually a term of endearment. It sounds condescending. It's not. It's a term of endearment. He says, And now, it, really, you could say, My dear children. Abide in him, abide in Jesus, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We talked about this last week, how abiding in him is not easy. Um, Staying in Christ and keeping Christ's love inside of us will be met with challenges. Uh, But this is the command. This is is what he's saying will will get you through life if you choose to abide in him. When he appears, we will have confidence. In other words, the word confidence means we'll be able to openly share about you. Uh, Man, I'll tell you what, as a pastor, that is the absolute best thing in the world, knowing that the people that you have poured into and you've ministered to, that they are abiding in Christ. It's wonderful to lead people to Christ, um, but it's even better whenever the people you led to Christ stay with Christ. Just, just FYI, uh, it, is, it is so encouraging. Even if they don't stay with City Chapel, as long as they stay with Christ, it's so encouraging when people abide in him. Because why? Because at the end, I'm going to stand before God. And God's going to say, what did you do with your time? Well, I led this person to the Lord, and then they went right back into the world, and it was a waste. Uh, I preached all these sermons, and then people walked out and did the exact same thing they were going to do anyway. Um, I, that's, 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 that, that's a bummer. So we don't want that. He said, look, we, we, we want to be able to openly talk about you. That's the word. We don't want to be ashamed, meaning we don't want to hold back what we share about you. In other words, when, 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 when Jesus returns, we want to be giddy, sharing with him all the amazing things that's been going on in your life. And um, as a pastor, there are people like that. And it's not all uh, difficult. It's not all bad. There's a lot of encouraging stories. That's the, that's the beauty of pastoring. You get a front row seat to what God's doing in people's life, uh, which is awesome sometimes. Because sometimes people don't respond to God. Maybe, maybe you have no experience with this. Maybe in your life, you've always just, as soon as you said yes to God, you just were up and to the right. That was your stat line. But some people, it's more like, you know, kind of, kind of like there's valleys and hills. And so he says, look, abide in him so that we can have confidence, not be ashamed uh, before him at his coming. And he, this is the key. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And here again, John is, is stepping on toes. Uh, and he, he, he did this all throughout chapter 1. He's kind of been doing this in chapter 2. Because this, this book, or this, this letter, was written to help be a form of correction for a church that was drifting from the truth. And they were drifting into Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is from the Greek word Gnostic or Gnosis, meaning knowledge. And the Gnostics had two primary um, beliefs. There was two wings of Gnosticism, if you, were, if you will. There was, there was the liberal side. We'll call them the Democrats. Um, there was the liberal uh, Gnostics. <laughs> Like, oh no, what's he gonna say? He's gonna offend my favorite party. Uh, there was the there, there was the liberal side, and the liberal side, they said, they said, look, look, we're all human, and by that we mean uh, irrevocably messed up. They just they just took the word human and said human equals messed up. Which is not true, because in the garden, God created humans that were not messed up. Therefore, human does not mean messed up. But in their mind, human means sinful, depraved, total depravity, completely messed up, irrevocably messed up. And so they said, hey, uh, you can't get away from sin. And so instead of actually practicing righteousness, they said you have a righteous position. You're positionally righteous. You are righteous, just not you. 
there's like this you somewhere out there in the in the in the universe. I don't know. There's a, there's an inner you. There's an outer you, and then there's an inner you. The inner you is really righteous. The outer you is still fumbling through life. And John is correcting that. He says, no, no, no. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Your, your righteousness is connected to your practice. It's not just your position. It's not just like when he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. No, that's not how this works. Like he looks at you and he sees you. And he doesn't put on rose-colored glasses or anything like that. He just sees you. And he still loves you. And he still welcomes you in. But he sees you. And it, make no mistake, righteousness is not a position that you achieve or receive through special knowledge, is what they taught. But righteousness is something that is actually practiced. If your righteousness doesn't bear fruit outside of inside of your head, it's not real righteousness. If you say you love people, but you do nothing to help them, that's, you, don't, you don't love people. Let's just be honest. Like, you, you, you feel nice toward people, I guess, somewhere inside. But the real proof, if you will, of righteousness is how it plays out in your life. And so this is what John, John's correcting the, the liberals here. Uh, but he also comes against the Republicans too, all right? The conservatives... There was a conservative, I wasn't pointing at Poppy because Poppy is not a Republican. I don't know if she's ever voted Republican. Uh, Poppy is a wild one. Uh, but no, like the, the, you, you, went, you, had, you, you had two wings of this. And on the one side, you had the liberals that said, just do whatever you want. And in fact, there were Gnostic Gospels. You might have heard of those. They were, they were rejected by the Council of Nicaea because those Gospels represented Gnostic values. For instance, there was the Gospel of Judas. The Gospel of Judas basically painted Judas as the good guy. That Jesus and Judas were in cahoots because Judas' betrayal led to Jesus being able to die for the sins of the whole world. And so the Gnostics said, look, sin promotes, God uses our sin to promote his righteousness on the earth. Therefore, as, as Paul said, shall we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? That wasn't a hypothetical thing. That was an actual teaching that was going around. And Paul says, absolutely not. Now, Paul wrote his letter, the book of Romans, about 30 years before John wrote his. And so what was a random kind of statement after 30 years had crept into the church and was becoming accepted as accepted doctrine. And John says, look, this is not okay. All right, righteousness, God comes to save you and like really save you. Like for reals, for really reals. And, uh, but, the, but, the, but the conservative wing of this, they, they took a completely opposite approach. Still rooted in knowledge, okay? Um, but they said, look, the way to righteousness is this right here, practice. It's all about your practices. And so they said, okay, we want to be righteous. So Jesus came to help us fulfill the law of Moses. So they started working on the practices, the practices of righteousness, meaning celebrating all of the feast days, making sure to get circumcised, doing all of the things. We do all the things. That was the, that was the conservative wing, the Republicans. They do all the things. And they are righteous because of all the things that they do. And this is also... Not good. And, and, and John is going to deal with that in the very next sentence. So if we go right on through chapter 2 into chapter 3, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Wait a minute. He didn't say, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should fulfill all the commandments. He's not pandering to the conservatives or the liberals. And this is the way God tends to work. He cuts right down the middle because both of man's options are not good. Both of the extremes of the pendulum are not the middle of the road. And so, and so John, instead of focusing on practices, he says, look, the way that you get to righteous practices is different than what you would think. It's not by your willpower. It's not by your ability to get special knowledge which is what the Gnostics taught. You need to come to our seminars. You need to read our books so that you'll learn these special things from the Old Testament. And once you learn that, then you do that. Then when you do that, then you're righteous. Okay? Uh, that's what the conservatives said. But he says, no. John says, this is the key. The manner of love that the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Which is why in the previous verse he said, he said the one who practices righteousness is born of God. Not 
not, 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 not correct, not righteous, not appropriate, but born of God. Because to John, it all comes back to this idea of the love of God displayed in us through this thing called new birth. Therefore, he says, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be, but we know that when he is revealed, Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone, this is the end of the, this is the other bookend, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So he started with this idea of righteous acts. He went, this is the, this is the holy burger, if you will. So the bun is righteousness. The meat, as Arby's would say, is the love of God through new birth. And then the bottom bun, which is never as good as the top bun, but it's still pretty good, is, 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 the, is the ability to purify yourself, having to do with righteousness. So you have righteousness on top, you have righteousness on the bottom, and right between it, uh, I prefer to think of, um, you know, uh, Five Guys. Five Guys Burger. I like Five Guys. So right between five, anybody else five, into Five Guys? Man, their burgers are good. What time is it? It's almost lunchtime, isn't it? We need to get in there speed up this sermon. But you get those juicy Five Guys cheese double burger. Like it's like a thousand pounds of meat in that thing. Some people add nasty stuff like grilled onions. I don't know about that. That's not of the Lord. But um, I've always been more of a plain guy. Just give me ketchup and cheese. That's, so me and my kids order the same thing. I know that's embarrassing, but it's how we roll. And it's just good stuff. The, the key, though, so, so when, when you think of it that way, John is describing the Christian life. And so many times we, we err on the righteousness side, right? And we're all about the bun, of the burger, and we miss the real meat of the gospel. The real meat of the gospel is not that Jesus came so that bad people would, would be good. As we talked about yesterday, and uh, Bob, as Bob Ham says, God, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Now, that, you know, I've been going to church all my life, and I thought that was the goal. It's not the goal. It's a byproduct of the goal. It's the bun, okay? So if you, like, if it's just about the bun, I don't need five guys. Like, literally, McDonald's will do. It's not good, but hey, it's, it's carbs and it's a bun, right? Like, like, there are some places that have decent bun, you know, like a better bun or whatever. But for the most part, you don't go, you don't pay the big bucks for the bun. Hop Dottie's bun is fine, but the burger is a lot better the Hop Dottie's Burger. Man, I'm starting to go through my, my brand. What are some of the better burgers? I got five guys, but Hop Dottie, man, they're fries, the truffle fries. Like, that's why you go for the truffle fries. And then you're like, oh, I'll get a burger too, sure, whatever. And it's good stuff. But the, the key, though, the, the, the meat of it is this transformational love of God. And by the way, when he says, what, look, he says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. The original word for bestowed means to give. But the implication is that when this thing is given, it's transformational or it changes the person who receives it. What manner of love the Father has transferred to us. And in the transfer, there was transformation in the one receiving it. What kind of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. This is the meat of the gospel. This is the whole purpose. The grace of God for sonship. And I say sonship, even if you're a woman, because sonship it has to do with being the firstborn, the oldest in the house, and you get, you, get a lot, you get a lot more benefits when you're the son. So that's why technically this says children of God, but in the original language it says sons of God. You might see that in the King James. Bless you. Uh, it's the sons of God is, 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 is a title that doesn't have to do with your gender. It has to do with your position in the family. And this is what we celebrate. This is what we sing about. This is what we rejoice in. That we who were far from God, we who were foreigners by nature, we who were born outside of the house of grace and far away from the love of God, through Jesus Christ, we have been granted access into a new family. This is so huge. And we, we mention these words all the time, but it's really, really huge. And so in order to jump into just the, the bigness of this, I wanted to go to another, uh, let's see, we're in 1 John chapter 3. I want to go to John chapter 3. So 
the same guy who wrote 1 John also wrote John. I know it's confusing, but he also wrote the Gospel of John, and he has another chapter 3. And in that chapter 3, Jesus has an encounter with a man named Nicodemus. And you can turn there. Um, We did get a picture of it up here. It's a little hard to read, but uh, uh, this 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 is... Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a teacher of Scripture. He's somebody that people would go to to ask them, uh, you know, what, what does God want? What does he demand? What does he desire? And so John, uh, John tells this story. He relates this story because to him this is very important. It's about the new birth. And so in verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Why did he come by night? Because he was, he was nervous because he could lose his job. Yeah, and, uh, you know, if you, if you see what happens with Jesus, you could also lose your life if you end up hanging out with him. He's nervous. He's scared. The rest of the Pharisees are plotting against Jesus. They hate Jesus. But this one Pharisee, look at what he says. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. That's huge. We know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. In other words, Jesus has a believer among the Pharisees. Most of the Gospels, you would never know that. Uh, The Pharisees, they're all kind of painted in the same color. They're all against Jesus because they're always just grumpy, right? They're always, they're, like in kids' church, you always paint them gray. You color them in gray. That's all you do. They don't, they're, not, they're not wearing colorful clothes. They're grumpy. And, 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 and the Pharisees, now we realize there was a Pharisee. And he says, we know. In other words, there were more Pharisees than just him. He was the only one brave enough to sneak out at night and meet with them. But there were some Pharisees. Like, and, it, and it makes sense, right? Because Pharisees knew the Old Testament better than anybody. And the Old Testament teaches us about Jesus. Actually, the Old Testament teaches us more about Jesus than the Gospels do. Because the Old Testament portrays and foreshadows the person of Jesus. And so the Pharisees should have been the first ones in line when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lamb of God. Hey, we know exactly what that whole process is all about. We've been studying these details intricately. And Nicodemus says, Some of us have come to the realization that you have come from God. That's huge. Come from God. I don't even know that, that Peter said, said as much as that. And so, and so Nicodemus has some revelation. And he has some boldness. And he comes in the middle of the night. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you. That in the King James that would be verily, verily uh, I say to you. When Jesus wants to say something, he just says it. But when he really wants to say something, he says assuredly. When he really, really wants to say something, he says most assuredly. In other words, underline this, write this down. This is super important, Nick. Like, Nick is coming out. I'm, I'm going to tell him exactly what he needs to hear. Because Nick comes up to Jesus and he praises him. He says, you are from God. We know you're from God. And, and Jesus says, okay, absolutely write this down. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, initially you read that, and it sounds like Jesus is, is off in la-la land. Sometimes, and it, sometimes it seems like Jesus says stuff that's just weird. Because you have Nicodemus sneaking in at night, and John is, is giving us these details. He's giving us the setting of the story. And you would think that Jesus would say something that connects with something that Nicodemus said. Right? Like Nicodemus says, we know you're from God. You'd think Jesus would say something about, well, then why don't you follow me? Then why, why doesn't he challenge him? Why doesn't he teach him? Why doesn't he say something in relation to what he said? And, and actually, he does say something in relation to what he said. But in the English translation, you don't see it. Because in the English translation, it says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But in the original language, Jesus doesn't say born again. He doesn't say born a second time. He says, born from above. So he is actually speaking to what Nicodemus is talking about. Nicodemus says, I know you're from God. God is above. And Jesus is relating to what he says. He's saying, yes, anyone. In other words, I am from God. But you also could be a son of God. 
Not in the same way that Jesus is the Son of God, because he is alone, the only begotten of the Father. But this Son of God came to make us sons of God. And he's, he's speaking to Nicodemus based on what Nicodemus sees about him. I know you're from God. He says, great, you could be from God too. And that's, that's lost in the translation because we're, and then, and it's, this is actually a sacred cow, this idea of being born again. So I know as soon as I say this, like, well, I need to go back and study that. Do it, do it. Go, go to Blue Letter Bible, look up the original word. He says, unless you are born from above, which is connected to what Nicodemus was talking about, that, that, that this idea of being born from above. But then Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Because Nicodemus understands what Jesus is saying. Jesus is extending an offer to Nick. You could be born from above. Wait a minute, Jesus. I've already been born. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? (laughs) Now, usually when I've read that, I don't know about you, but I've always thought like Nicodemus was being a little bit facetious. Like he's mocking Jesus a little bit. Like, what am I going to do? Go back to my mom's house and try to reenact this whole thing? Like, which, which paints a really weird picture, uh, right? Like, no, don't do that. That's not going to work. Uh, right? But, but, but what, what happens, you have to remember Nicodemus believes in Jesus. You have to remember he's not there to mock him. You have to remember none of his buddies are there. He's there risking his life in private. He is interested in following Jesus. So his response is not mockery. I really don't believe it's mockery. I believe that he's asking a question based on his understanding of new birth. (laughs) Exactly. And as Bob Hamm talked about yesterday in one of the videos, he said, if you're born into bondage, then your view of freedom will be tainted by that. To you, freedom will be the absence of the bars that you were born behind. If you're born into bondage, if all you've ever known are these bars and you've looked out those bars at the, at the world going by, you, when you think about freedom, you won't think about what's out there because you don't know what's out there. You won't think about a fulfilling job that you might have someday. You won't think about a lovely wife you might meet and marry and have kids with. Like you won't, you're not thinking, what your version of freedom is just to get rid of or to delete this bondage or these bars. And all of us have been born into slavery. Not physical slavery, but spiritual slavery. And our, that's why our version of freedom is so intimately connected to the removal of the things that have kept us enslaved. That's why much of preaching has to do with the removal of uh, bad habits or the removal of bad attitudes or the removal of addictions or the removal. It's, it's, we're, we're trying to get rid of these, these bars and these bondages. And this is Nicodemus's world. This is his, his mindset. And Jesus is quite literally blowing this whole thing up because Jesus doesn't play his game. He doesn't step into Nicodemus's world and see it from his view. Instead, he says, okay, I'm from God. Let me tell you the end game, the goal. Let me tell you what's available to you. You also could be born from God. And, and the reason why Nicodemus finds this so difficult is because it's the same way that many of us find 1 John difficult, right? Whoever is righteous, whoever practices righteous, is righteous. And we're like, oh, well, that's not me, right? Immediately, we read that, we disqualify ourselves from the promises of God, and we, 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 we can't enjoy the, 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 the meat of the sandwich of his love and transformation because we're too focused on the fact that we don't qualify for the bun, prospect we can't even get on the top of this burger like we cannot even enjoy any of it because it doesn't apply to us and so that's why oftentimes we're reading scripture we feel condemnation rather than conviction we feel we feel we feel we feel blocked this is what Nicodemus is blocked he came to follow Jesus and Jesus gives him an impossible thing be born a second time because the key is and this this is why I think Nicodemus says shall a man go go back to his mother, I think it's in the King James. This shall a man go back to his mother's womb? What if he's not talking about ge- ge- geography as much as he's talking about time? Because in his mind, he's already been born once, and he knows Old Testament theology what that means. In Scripture, the Bible teaches very clearly in the Old Testament. See, I've I've, I've always wondered about this because later on, Jesus scolds Nicodemus for not knowing what he's talking about. 
You know that? Like, he gets down further and he says, you're a teacher of Israel. How do you not know this? And I've often been like, well, you're being a little harsh, aren't we? You're being a little hard on old Nick. I mean, come on. Nick, like, how's Nick supposed to know this? Is this in the Old Testament somewhere? Did, did David write about this in the Psalms? Is there like a story, David and Goliath, and he was like reborn, and then he killed the giant? Like, how, how, what, what, what's the type and shadow he was supposed to catch on to? Because I've been studying the Old Testament with the light of the New Testament, and I find this idea of new birth to be a radical new introduction by Jesus, not something that was built upon in the Old Testament. Now, there's a couple of passages, one in Jeremiah, one in Ezekiel, about God giving us a new heart. There's another passage about uh, Babylonians being called, uh, be, being treated as if they were born in uh, Israel. In other words, almost like a new family, introduced to a new family. There's a spirit of adoption that can be seen in the old testament absolutely there's 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 some there's some type and types and shadows i guess if you really want to stretch it i mean noah noah's family was saved by going into the boat right and and the boat is a type and a shadow of jesus and so if we abide in jesus then we are safe and and in the boat right he went through water that's kind of like birth you know you're in water in your mother's stomach and he came out i think he came out on the eighth day which is in in numerology eight is the number of new beginnings so there's like some foreshadowing shadowing, I guess, but really, he's supposed to have figured this out? And so what I think is happening here is that, is that Nicodemus had figured out a message that was very clear in the Old Testament, that, that Adam and Eve sinned, and that their sin means that we are born under a curse. He figured that one out, and uh, Scripture talks about that, right? That through one man's sin, many we're led into bondage through one man's sin. Death came to everyone because all have sinned. So sin entered the world and death through sin, uh, Paul talks about. So yes, that's a clear biblical teaching. And in fact, that's why God came down to Mount Sinai. Because man couldn't come up to him. Because man had been kicked out of the garden as a result of their sin. They had been separated from God. So God had to come near to them. And he came near to them through the law. And several times in Deuteronomy, God even says, in this way, you will approach me. In this way, you will commune with me. In this way, you will hear from me. In this, when you do this, then I will do that. Because this is the state that man is in. Man is in an irrevocable state because of their DNA. They were born from their parents. Anybody else born from their parents? Cool. All of us. They were born from their... Any, anybody's parents not perfect? Okay, cool. All of us. And so... Don't, 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 look, don't point any fingers over here. But if, if the parents, like, yeah, they're not perfect. They have sin because their parents weren't perfect. Because their parents had sin. And they have sin because their parents had sin. And you can very easily see how this goes down the line, generation to generation to generation. And actually sometimes gets worse, sometimes gets better based on the obedience or disobedience of a particular generation. But either way, the, the DNA is the thing that's holding us back. The law was given to basically manage our bad DNA, right? Do not commit adultery. That'll help you manage your lust. Do not murder. That'll help you manage your anger. You, you won't get rid of your anger. You'll, you, you, you want, you'll kill them in your head a bunch of times, but you will, but just, you just won't do it, right? It's just, uh, just uh, whew. You, know, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's there to manage your DNA because anger is in your DNA. Lust is in your DNA, Right? Do not, do not, uh, uh, do not steal. That'll help you manage your envy. Right? You'll still be very envious, but you just, just, just won't go up there and take that guy's cow or whatever it is that you're envious of. Like, you know, like it'll, 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 it'll help you manage your DNA. And this is Nicodemus's world. He is convinced that he has a bad DNA. He has a sinful DNA, and the only thing he can ever do throughout all of life is manage it. And so, and so Jesus speaks to that. Jesus says, most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's physical birth, right? Because you're in your mother's stomach in water. Unless one is born of water, uh, but water is not the only thing. Uh, because he's responding, right, to his idea of going back to his mom. Uh, most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, once again, this is a whole different concept because uh, Nicodemus's end time theology was not about entering the kingdom of God. It, it was probably more uh, related to what the disciples asked Jesus. He says, will you, after he rose from the dead, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So Nicodemus wasn't planning on entering another kingdom. His plan was that the Messiah would bring the kingdom to Israel. <laughs> and Jesus says, well, that's also not quite right. You are going to enter into my kingdom. I'm not going to enter into your kingdom. And so he says, unless a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He says, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born from above. And then he gives this weird illustration. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it came from or where it goes. So is the way, or so is everyone who is born of the spirit, or this is how you are born of the spirit. Now, for me, this really, uh, this really blows open this passage because typically this passage has been taught to me that this is about what we would call salvation, being born again. And generally, whenever you mention this to Christians, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, done that. And they just tick the box. Yeah, I got born again back when I was 10 or 12 or 49 or whatever it was. Yes, I prayed the sinner's prayer and I got born again. It's great. And so none of this rest applies to me. <laughs> but what's, what's interesting is Jesus, one, he's not saying born again. He's saying born from above, which has a similar connotation. So born again is not a bad translation, but born, born from above will help you understand the, the conversation. But he's saying you must be born from above. But then his illustration of how to be born from above has nothing to do with a particular prayer that you pray has nothing to do with a particular uh, song that you sing or church that you go to or a particular domination, denomination you're a part of. He says, look, this is, this is how it happens, Nick. The, the wind blows wherever it wishes. And the word wind there is in the Greek is pneuma. It's the exact same word for spirit. So uh, Augustine, one of the early church fathers, said you could translate this passage, the spirit, because it's the same word. The spirit blows, or Augustine said, breathes, on whomever he wishes. So this is, this is how you become a son of God, Nick. The spirit of God blows on whomever he wishes. Wait a minute, hold up. I, how, does, how does that happen within Nick's world? Nick is in prison. Nick, in his mind, based on his DNA, he is in prison. And he sees these wonderful things out there. And I wonder, even just as I'm talking, and I'm talking about seeing wonderful things out there, and we were singing about, and it, even this morning, I said, what do you want? And some of us couldn't answer that question because what we want is out there. Right? It's, it's, it's beyond our reach. It's beyond our bars. The bars of our own DNA. And we've tried really hard. And even last week, I was talking about speaking in tongues. I, I, I've, as I've been talking to people individually since then, one of the great uh, barriers to receiving the gift or the grace of speaking in tongues seems to be this idea that I can't get there because I'm in these bars. And as soon as I get my behavior right, as soon as I, as soon as I get rid of something, I have to get rid of something to receive that. Right? I'm not good enough. To receive that. And in fact, the enemy will con condemn people based on that. Well, you don't talk in tongues. Who are you to lead your family? Well, you've never spoken in tongues. Who are you to lead worship? Well, you've never spoken in tongues. Who are you to... And it's, like, and it's like there's this thing out there, and I can't get to it because of these bars that are in front of me. My DNA is holding me back. And, I, and, and even as I'm talking, healing sometimes is like that. God has physical healing for you, but you feel like you don't deserve it. And so you won't ask for it. But look, this is, this is what Jesus, this is how you receive it. He said, the spirit breathes on whomever he wants to. In other words, you can be in a dungeon and have bars there and you can still feel the wind. <laughs> God can breathe on you in your nasty attitude. <laughs> 
Because it's not like, look, this is how you're born again. The spirit, he starts off with this, the words, the spirit or the wind, whatever you want to say. It's not you. It's not me. The way to be born again is not, okay, so what must I do to be saved? Well, technically, it all starts with the spirit. No man comes to the father unless the spirit draws him. So it all starts with the spirit. The impetus for new birth has nothing to do with you. And Jesus even goes on to say, not by the will of man, but by the will of God, that there is this thing that the spirit does to us. And we have a part in it. We, we have a part that's called surrender, where we release our will and we trade in our will for his will. And we, we give up ourselves for his, for, his, for what he says about us. But, but in the beginning of it, it's just the breath of God that breathes on us. This is freedom. This is, you could be healed today. I, I, I really believe physically that, that there's no physical ailment that could not be healed today. If you would allow the breath of God to breathe on you. If you would allow the spirit of God to breathe on you. Man, and I, I've, been, I've been doing this for years. I've been, I've been preaching since I was 14 and, and I've been walking with people for a really long time. And it's so hard to convince people about this. It's the hardest thing in the world. It, it, must, have, it must have been nearly impossible for Jesus. Finally, like he kind of lamb, he really tears into Nicodemus. If you keep reading the passage, he really tears into him because he says, look, I came down from heaven and you're not believing what I'm telling you. Yeah. Why not? Well, because it's so hard to believe this. It's so difficult. I remember I was like 20 or 21, and there was a guy in our church. We were part of a small church up in Michigan, and there was a guy um, that I was kind of close to. He was like my dad's age, but when I was 12, I felt led to have an accountability partner with regard to reading the Bible and praying every day. I wanted to do that, and so I wanted to have an accountability partner to help me do that. So I went to this guy in the church, and I said, hey, could you keep me accountable? I want to read my Bible and pray for 30 minutes every day. And so here's a little chart that I printed out, and uh, if you can just, you know, and he's like, you need to keep me accountable, man. Like, I don't know. So we kind of kept each other accountable, I guess, um, for years. You know, we kind of would meet up every Sunday after church, it's like, okay, well, how, how did you do this week? How did you do this week? And um, I was around 20 or 21, and he had um, taken a fall. He was on the roof of his house, I think, and he fell in, onto a branch from memory. And the branch, like, pierced, uh, the, like, there was, a, there was a, a sharp edge of the branch that, that pierced his back. And um, all I knew, he was at, it was at his side. So all I knew is that he was in the hospital, and uh, he was in the hospital, so I went to go visit him. And so I, I was driving there, and I was asking God, Lord, what should I say uh, to him, you know, just to encourage him or whatever. And uh, I felt like the Lord gave me that scripture from Proverbs um, that says, the Lord guards the path of the righteous. I was like, oh, that's kind of a weird one. A guy who just had a bad accident. Like, Lord's looking out for you, buddy. Uh, just kind of nudged you off the edge of the roof there. Like, how does what? So I was like, okay, I don't get the. So I just thought, so I just drive there and I'm talking to him. And that's when I realized that actually he was telling me that where the branch like um, punctured him, it was like super close to a vital organ, I guess. He was like inches away from bleeding out and dying. This is before we all had cell phones everywhere. And so he was just on the ground and like crawled to his truck and like drove himself to the ER and like he wouldn't have been able to do that had it been like a couple inches and I said man I said hey Proverbs says the Lord guards the path of the righteous and I'll never forget his response he said oh I'm not righteous I thought it was weird I thought it was a weird response I was like Lord it's amazing you can literally be receiving the love of God like right there in that moment you just saw the hand of God, and yet because of your view of yourself, you disqualify yourself. Was that, was that dumb luck? Is that, was that like, so what, 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 what's going on here, man? Like God shared the scripture with me to share with you, and yet you disqualify yourself because, oh, you're not righteous. I've seen that time and time again. So many people have this completely broken view of their DNA. Oh, I can't be born a second i've already been messed up can i go back can i go undo all my mistakes like i can't do that i can't change who i am <laughs> right i can't go all the way back to adam and eve all the way back to my parents and their crazy decisions i can't go back like my dna is fixed it's set I, i'm I, I am who i am 
It's amazing how even like a much more recent example. I was talking to somebody at City Chapel and they're like, I just always have to stay busy. Every church I go to, I have to stay busy. I said, that's not good. I just have to be doing something. I said, well, I've already given you like five things to do and put you in charge of something. And, and I said, there's a point at which I can't tell you who you are. I can open up doors for you, but I can't tell you who you are. You have to receive that from Jesus. You have to be born from above. You need to do new DNA. Not the DNA of, well, if I just do enough, then I'll be pleasing. If I, just, if I, if I get the right title and if I get on the stage and if I'm able to preach. And if I'm, like, no, all of that stuff is great and wonderful, but that is not, that's not going to tell you who you are. This isn't going to change your DNA. I'm telling you, I really do believe that what God wants to do is he wants to breathe on us and to literally, actually, literally change our DNA. Actually change who we are. You say, well, that can't really happen. Actually, the whole DNA field is an interesting study right now. I was talking to Ro about this the other night. We were laying in bed, and I was, we, were, we were about to have our 15th wedding anniversary uh, in, in August. It's all right. We got time. We got time. You can, you can celebrate then. Um, we're not there yet, all right? We're not there yet. You don't want to jinx it. But uh, <laughs> we were, uh, but we were just talking, and, and, and I was saying, and and I'll say, man, married couples really do start to look like each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of like a saying where they say married couples. I really believe that. And, and I, like, I can, I, I can prove it because literally, like, we've been married almost 15 years. And she is more beautiful now than she was when we first were married. She's looking more and more like me. It's clearly. She is looking more and more like me. Um, no, no, but seriously, like, our, like you know, our noses are, like, growing in the same, like, direction. Like, I've been, like, noticing stuff. I'm like, I think we're starting to look a lot alike. Like, something's going on. And she, and she was telling me, she's like, that's ridiculous. That, that's impossible. That can't happen. I said, no, it, like, it's not ridiculous. I've been doing some reading on, on Google. And uh, I'll tell you right now. It's, no, it's really fascinating because literally, like, your, your physical body, um, over the course of seven to ten years, will be completely remade. Every cell in your body, your eyeballs, your, your hair, your skin, your every cell, your inner cell, your outer, your skin, everything will die off within seven years and be completely remade. You literally will be a completely different person seven years from now, which is interesting when you look at the year of Jubilee and some of the stuff that God was setting up in the Old Testament, that there is this, you're, physically you will be a different person, entirely different person. Now you'll look a lot alike because the cells that come behind the old cells that are remade, where do they get their information from? From your DNA. So they make themselves according to the DNA of the old cells, basically. But what's interesting is there's a lot of studies into DNA and how DNA can be adjusted and changed over time. Uh, I, was, I was reading about this, this study where they did, they took these guys, I think it was seven or eight guys who had all committed murder. And they, they checked their, their DNA at the, at, their DNA, at the level of the DNA. They said there was a particular tear in their DNA, I don't, know, I don't know what that means, but there was a marker that they all shared. Now, whether they all had that prior to their, 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 their murder or not, I don't know, or whether that happened afterward. But they are doing studies, secular studies, that they say if, if, if two couples are living, making healthy, they call it healthy life choices, that they're, the children that they conceive during those times of making healthy life choices are far more uh, likely to make healthy life choices and be financially stable and emotionally stable and all of that. Some of you are looking at your oldest kids, and you're like, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Sorry we messed you up. Uh, hey, I'm an oldest kid, so I, I, I know what that's like, all right? I was, I was the guinea pig, too. Um, but, but no, but, but seriously, but, but, if they, but if that's true, then maybe it is true what Scripture says, that he who commits sexual sin sins against his own body. Maybe it's literal, actual truth. Maybe it's actual truth when it says that anyone who, is, who is, comes into Christ is literally a new creature. Maybe there is at a molecular level an actual shift that happens. That is at some point down the road, scientists will be able to zoom in and see exactly what that shift is. But all I know is that literal sick people can get literally made well when God breathes on them. Literally mentally unstable people can become literally mentally stable when God breathes on them. So is that a, is that a DNA change? Is it a malik? I don't know. But I know that there is power when God breathes on somebody. 
And there, there is power beyond your ability to go back and undo all of your mistakes. You don't have to undo anything. You have to receive the breath of God. All you have to do is in your prison cell, just open up the sails of your heart and allow the breath of God to breathe on you. The wind of God goes wherever it wants, goes wherever it wants. And if God has great desires for you, then the wind is coming to you and it's blowing across your face. And the question is, will you receive it or not? The question is, will you benefit from it or not? The question is, will you allow it to shift the direction of your life? Will you open up the sails of your heart to the wind of God? So literally, I, I think there are literal things that God wants to do in literal lives and literal bodies and actual genealogies and family histories that he actually wants to shift and alter and change. And there's actual gifts like tongues and interpretation of tongues and words of wisdom and words of prophecy that he actually wants to deposit in people's literal bodies and in their literal mouth and in their literal mind that they start hearing things and then they say what they, what they hear in their mind and, and then they call it for things that don't exist yet, but they speak. It, that's what prophecy is when you speak things that don't exist yet and it brings it into reality and I'm not saying you say whatever you want but I'm saying that you're connected with the, the wind of God the spirit of God that is moving in a particular direction that he wants and you allow it as Madden said to push you toward the front because that's what he wants and you can, you, can, you, can, you can shut down the sails of your heart and you can be a solid oak and let the wind blow and you just stay where you want you can do that if you want but if you want actual rebirth, if you want actual change, if you want to experience more than just the bun of Christianity, and if you would like the, the juicy meat of the gospel, the transformational love of God, you're going to need to allow the Spirit of God to breathe on you. It sounds charismatic. You're going to need to allow the Spirit of God to breathe on you. You're going to need you're going to, you're going to have to allow that. You're going to have to stop being so starchy and, uh, you know, like stuck up and, 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 and uppity and, you know, like allow the spirit of God to breathe on you. Well, I need to know what do I need to do? No, you need to receive. That's what you need to do. You must receive. And it's so hard for you. I know it's so difficult, but this is the, this is the only way to rebirth. You don't, you don't go back to your mom. You don't go back to your ex-husband. You don't go back to your past. You don't go back and fix stuff. You don't change anything in here. You receive the wind of the spirit of God. He does the change. He does at the molecular level and at the bigger levels. I don't know what those are, but he does all of the work. We do the receiving. Behold what manner of love the Father has given. Not you worked for and earned and deposited and kept in your bank account. But the Father has given to us. That we should be called the children of God. If you want to receive, you're watching from home or here in this room. If you're wanting to receive from him, would you just close your eyes right now just to focus on him? And, just, and just, just start confessing that desire to him. Start confessing the desire to receive what he has for you. To receive what he paid for. Which is the ability for us to become sons of God. Not, when the light shone in the darkness, John says in John chapter 1. And the darkness did not comprehend it. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave power to become sons of God, even to those who believe in, on his name. And so, Lord, we open ourselves up to, to become what you have for us to become. Not to do what you have for us to do, but to become what you have for us to become. We open up ourselves to you to receive the movement of the Holy Spirit, to receive the, the wind of the Holy Spirit, that it would direct us and guide us. And the, the humility of, of, of releasing control... <laughs> is so important. Hmm. I feel like sometimes we make idols out of things and God will never give you your idol. Even if it's a good thing. If, 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 if for you, speaking in tongues is this, this, this thing that once I get there, forget it. He's not going to give it to you. Why would he give you the thing that you feel like once you get it, then you don't need him anymore? No, no, he's going to hold that back from you. Maybe financial stability is the thing. It's like, once I get there, why would he bless you with financial stability when, when that's the thing that will draw you away from him? He won't give you your idols. He doesn't want you to have idols. Even good stuff. 
Once I find my spouse, once I, once I get married, then I'll be happy. And, 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 and God will hold back the blessings he has for you until you simply seek him instead of the blessings, until you simply re- desire more of him, more than you desire this particular thing, whatever that is. Spirit will blow on whoever he wishes. And, and, and those that are born of the Spirit will move with the Spirit wherever it goes. We don't know where it came from. We don't know where it's going. We are not in charge of this train. We didn't book a ticket. We didn't plan a route. We didn't get a, a punch in the GPS. We are not in charge of this. We're receiving from, this, from the Spirit, and the Spirit is directing us where he wants us to go. And so, Lord, we open the sails of our heart right now. We open the sails of our mind right now. We open the sails of our, of our emotions right now to you, for you to breathe on us, for the breath of heaven to breathe on us. And in this way, salvation is not something to be ticked off the list. But if you are born of the Spirit, then you must continue to live in the Spirit. So no matter where you are, if you've been saved 30 years or 30 seconds, it's important that we have the Spirit of God breathing on us because that is their source of life. And that is the thing that birthed us. That is also the thing that matures us. That is also the thing that disciples us. It's not your class. It's not your badge. It's not your Bible college. This is the discipler. This is the baptizer. This is, the, this is the mature. This is the thing that develops. This is the qualifier. Everything is the breath of heaven. If this is what birthed you and shifted your DNA, then this is, it is in him that we live. It is in him that we move. It is in him that we breathe. It is in him that we have our being in this wind. Lord, surround us in the whirlwind of the Holy Spirit breathing on us, changing us, making us who you want us to be not who we desire to be, but shifting us in your direction. We open the sails of our heart to your wind to breathe on us. And I do feel just physically, I feel like somebody needs to receive physical healing from him. Actually receive it. Actually put faith in him to physically heal your body right now of whatever it is. Spirit blows and breathes on whomever he wishes. Do you really think he doesn't wish to breathe on you? Remove every lie of the enemy. Remove every disqualifier. You're not what you do. You're not what you have done. <laughs> you can't earn it. You can't make enough pastors happy with you. you, you it's not about... The, uh, the pastors can't tell you who you are. Churches can't tell you who you are. The breath of heaven can renew and restore and refresh and birth you a second time. (laughs) This time from above. This time from heaven. So we receive your breath, Lord. We receive the wind of the Holy Spirit.